Welcome to Har for Chabad podcast, a project of the Klein Jewish Academy. In this podcast, we take ancient Jewish wisdom and make it relevant. Each podcast includes insights culled from Jewish traditions and ideas and helps give practical ideas on how to incorporate them into your daily life. Tonight, we're talking about humility and pride, but let's go away from that right just a second. Uh, when my girls were growing up, uh, there was a popular uh, children's show, uh, Barney. Barney was a dinosaur, and his uh, his theme song, uh, I guess, was You Are Special. You're the only one. There's no one like you. So the question we're we're starting with is, are you special? You know, are you better in some sense than most people? Or, you know, is that too arrogant to think that you're special? Um, you know, uh, who who wants to be like everyone else? I mean, people want to be fit in, yes, but you don't want to be typical. Yeah, no special talents or, or anything that will make you stand out from the rest. And on the other hand, you're talking about, well, if you want to think and act like you're special, you don't want to become a snob. You, you don't want to have a air of pretension. So what's the right approach? Yeah, how do we escape the downside to being arrogant and still maintain uh, this uh, concept of being unique? And we'll, we'll address that. Um, we're going to learn from two prominent personalities in the Torah how to view ourselves in our place among other people. And if you read the advert for our uh, uh, class, we talked uh, talked about big letters and small letters, and we'll we'll do that. This is this uh, week we open the uh, third book of the five books of Moses, and its name is uh, Vayikra in Hebrew or Leviticus in English. Uh, that's its name. That's because the that's the opening word of of this book. Actually, speaking of letters, you notice the typo in the title. The what? I'm sorry. Well, look, look at the, when you're truly small, then you're really big. I think it's supposed to be why are you apostrophe both times? Oh, yes, yes. It is. I don't. We're, we're okay with that, though. We get, we, we get the I, idea. They don't, let, they don't let me uh, look at the uh, slides. No, no, you don't understand. Then you're really is big. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Regardless, it still needs a copy of it. So anyway, um, the, the, the word Vayikra really 
just means, and he called. But if you look at it as it's written in the Torah scroll, the last letter of Vayikra, an Aleph, is smaller than the other letters. And that brings us to uh, text one. And uh, we'll start with you, Jerry. Sorry, I was trying to get this thing off of mute. Okay. <laughs> and he called to Moses, and God spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying... Yeah, I mean, you can't see that in the... Uh, in the on the slide, but if you look, actually, you can look at the olive. Oh, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I gotta move it. <laughs> no, I don't know. Can you see my my mouse yes. cursor or not, though? Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it okay. can. Right? Is that what you're talking about a moment ago? Yeah, yeah. But in, yeah, in the Torah scroll, it's written that way as well. Um. Now, so why, we ask, of course. And there's a lot of commentaries on that. And uh, one example is in text two. And Carol, you could do that one. Perhaps the reason for the small Aleph is in line with what I wrote previously, namely, that out of his great humility, Moses distanced himself from any sort of prestige he fled from the stage so much that God had to call out to him. Thus the Aleph of the word Vayikha, and he, and he called, is small. Now, the, this Rabbi Abraham Saba, who, who uh, wrote this, uh, wrote this path, this uh, text, is referring to a, uh, an instance previously in the Torah, where God revealed himself to, to Moses at the burning bush. He told Moses that he had been chosen to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. And Moses replied in text three, and Robin. Okay. And now behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now come and I will send you to Pharaoh and take my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses, even when he was communicating with God, or God was communicating directly with him, little old Moses, uh, he, he maintained his humble spirit by, you know, asking, who am I? You know, why would you pick me of, of all people? Could it partially have been also because Moses was known to have been um, something of speech, smallest, not smallest speech, hesitant to speech? Did he because he, his tongue had been burned. Right, his tongue had been burnt um, in, in a test. Yeah, so uh, he he couldn't speak as well. That's why one of the reasons that he had Aaron there as well to be to speak for with him. 
But you know, the 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 obvious lesson that I think they're trying to, to put forth here is that you would should be humble. And Moses was the humblest of all men, as it says. Yeah, if the small olive teaches us about humility, then we have this other verse, which is in the Tanakh, it's in, in Chronicles, and that's in text four. And that has a large olive, as you could say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just Adam, Seth, and Enosh. Uh, those are yeah, just three people. So the way to prescribe the way of writing uh, the Aleph for Adam in the Torah in this particular, in Tanakh in this particular passage is to make the Aleph bigger than the other letters. Okay, so Moses' small Aleph is about humility. What, what the heck are we going to make of the large Aleph in Adam's name? Is it, is it teaching us to be haughty, as it says on the slide? You know, what is the message that they're trying to put forth? Let's digress a little bit but with a, a related story, actually. It's, uh, it's, uh, it talks about this interaction between the Alter Rebbe and his grandson, the son of Tzedek, which took place during uh, this week of this Torah portion. So we have that in text five. And uh, well, since you haven't been around for a while, <laughs> we'll give you, Jerry, the, a big passage. Thank you, Hulf. The previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Shirson, once described at a Pesach Farbringen how the altar Rebbe brought his grandson, uh, the Zamech Zedek, to school when the latter was a small boy. The altar Rebbe instructed the teacher to begin studying the book of Ayikra. After his first lesson with his teacher, the young boy asked his grandfather, why is the olive of the word Vayikra small? The altar Rebbe entered into a spiritual trance for a short while and said, Adam was God's literal handiwork, about whom God testified that he was wiser than the angels. Adam was aware of his own worth and that eventually got to him ultimately, leading to his downfall with the sin of the tree of knowledge. Moses, our teacher, he too was aware of his own worth, but not only did it not go to his head, the very opposite happened. It caused him to be extremely broken and humble as he thought that if another Jew, not Amram's son and the seventh son from Abraham would have possessed a soul as lofty as his and a pedigree like his, that person would have certainly outdone him. When God gave the letters at Mount Sinai, they came in three sizes, small, medium, and large. The Torah is written with medium-sized letters, conveying the message that a person ought to be a being, which he or she can achieve by studying Torah. Whereas Adam stumbled into sin by dint of his excessive sense of self-worth, 
the author of his name appears in large typeset. Whereas by contrast, Moses achieved the greatest level of humility by focusing on his unworthiness. So the author associated with him is small. The question we have from this story is why did the author Rebbe have to go into this whole discussion about uh, Adam? You know, if he was, especially since he uh, used Adam as an example of something negative. Um, well, could he be trying to contrast Adam and Moses? I, it could ha certainly have, you know, uh, but I mean, he could have just gone and responded with the, the story about Moses' humility. Um, you know, but, you know, even from that, um, that story, they're talking about Adam in a negative light. You know, that his arrogance led to his downfall with the, with the sin of the tree of knowledge. But why should that be the assumption about having a, a, a big letter, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are actually commentaries that understand that big Aleph in a positive way. And, uh, okay, Paul, I didn't realize, yeah, we're here. So you can do the, the next uh, passage. Uh, you're still on mute. I've been all day on Zoom, so run out okay. of battery. Okay, I'm back. Okay, yes. there is a small aleph in the world word. By Ikra to teach us that though God personally called him and afforded him all this honor to constantly speak with him, Moses nevertheless was always humble before God and the Jewish people. The Aleph of Adam's name is, is big to teach us that there was no greater person either in a physical sense for he was exceedingly tall or in the sense of his superior wisdom which he demonstrated when he gave names to all the animals. And actually the next text, um, the the Alta Rebbe uh, talks about the, the positive aspects of, of, of Adam there. Um, I'll, I'll just do that. In Chronicles, Adam's name was written with a large olive a reference to Adam's stature prior to the sin of the tree of knowledge. At this point, he was extremely at an extremely lofty level. But, but if Adam was so wise, why did he eat the apple then? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he felt that, you know, I, I guess the, the feeling is for some that he felt that he was on a level with God, and so you know why? Why be denied knowledge? But 
But if the Alter Rebbe himself recognizes you know, that there's a positive way to understand that large Aleph, why did he sort of contradict himself when he talked to his grandson? So it's, you know, the, the, the real, the, at least the, the short answer to that is that the Alter Rebbe really wasn't just simply answering his son, grandson's question. Rather, he was giving him a, a larger lesson in life. You know, the, to appreciate that lesson of the small olive of uh, Moses being humble, uh, you first need the lesson of the big olive. Yeah, humility without self-confidence and knowing your strengths isn't really healthy. It's 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 more like just being meek and timid. Could it also be he was trying to show that Moses was truly a greater man than Adam ever was? You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, as it, as he said, you know, Adam was a direct creation of God. You know, the only person that he breathed the life into, into the earth to, you know, um, but, and, and as they say, his stature, it was, he was, you know, was like a giant, we would say. So, but, yeah. But God I, also talked directly to Moses, which is considered to be an extreme rarity through most of the Bible. Right. But they talked to Adam as well. So, uh, yeah, you know, that, uh, you know, like we said, we had different commentators that go on either side of this argument. But the Alter Rebbe was, was trying to teach his grandson that we ought to emulate Adam at least at the beginning of the story before he, he committed the sin. Um, but you have to recognize, basically, you really need to recognize your own self-worth you know, um, value your innate qualities, understand them so you know, you know, you're not an expert in everything, but there are certain things that you, you, are, you are better than perhaps the average person. When we can identify those qualities, then we can utilize them in the best possible way. And that brings us to text eight. And uh, Carol, I think you're back up. Everyone should learn how to utilize their own positive qualities, just as one ought to know his or her own shortcomings. So too should he or she know the positive qualities they possess. Yeah, I know when they uh, teach soft skills, uh, 
you know, like communication skills, dealing with conflict, those types of classes, they, they will ask you to do a, a personal inventory, you know, where you'll list your, uh, your, uh, your advantages, your positive qualities, and then your negative qualities. So that gives you a, a scope of what you are, where you need to start working you know, to improve yourself and uh, you know, where you could you know, um, help out in a, in a team environment. Moses teaches us a thing or two about humility, but Adam teaches us that we all possess some qualities that are wonderful or special and we're proud owners of a tremendous pedigree i mean we're related to it everyone's related to adam and yeah every person is indeed special you know as a jew you possess a godly soul and you're a member of a religion that emphasizes a relationship with God. So you have an advantage from the start. <laughs> yeah, God believes in you and keeps the world going every moment for you as a Jew to do their their part, to, you know, do their mission. And if you think about it that way, you know, it, it should empower you to face the, the challenges and uh, temptations of life, you know. Uh, certainly ethical, moral, spiritual, um, you know, et cetera, you know, things that you have to face every day. Okay, and on to text nine. I'll do that one, Robin just stepped out. Uh, every Jew possesses tremendous worth, and as such, any Jew can readily see his or her self-worth. After all, a devout Jews' true value flows from a holy and godly source. As such, uh, there's no concern that such thoughts of self-worth would ever lead to negative consequences. What's more, a person must have his sense, this sense of self-worth, so much so that at times it is the only way to overcome the challenges of the mundane and material reality around us. When a Jew approaches his or her life with a proud and strong stance that flows from holiness akin to a tzaddik, all challenges dissipate. There's this story uh, about uh, George Rohr. This is the Rohr Learning Institute, Jewish Learning Institute. That is the... Uh, creator of Torah study. So uh, we're somewhat familiar with George Rohr, you know, prominent businessman and a big, big supporter of Chabad. 
he enjoyed a, a special relationship with the Rebbe. So one uh, day before, just before uh, Yom Kippur, he was standing in line with the rest of the people um, uh, waiting for the Rebbe um, to, to get the Rebbe's blessing. He prepared for the Rebbe a gift of good news to balance the endless dream of requests about pain and suffering that people would typically uh, come to the to the Rebbe with, you know, when they were on the, the receiving line there. When his turn came, he told the Rebbe that on Rosh Hashanah, he had organized a beginner service in his synagogue for more than 130 Jews who had no Jewish background. What? The Rebbe asked, looking at Roar intently. Assuming that the Rebbe just didn't hear everything he said, he repeated himself. No Jewish background, asked the Rebbe. Go back and tell them that they have a background. They are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And then the Rebbe smiled. The Rebbe was telling George Rohr that a Jew has a, a tremendous background, like I said, a pedigree uh, that has a long and lustrous chain going back to Adam and, well, the Jew, uh, as a Jew, uh, back to Abraham. Yeah, no one should ever look at themselves as less than. Rather, they should look at themselves as as more than, you know, when we get better at doing something like that, it positions ourselves psychologically and and in our interaction with other people uh, to achieve more. Uh, we expect more of ourselves and we generate a greater impact on our surroundings. Have another story here. There was once a new rabbi who moved to town, and unfortunately, his style was not so much to the liking of the established Jewish community there. You see, the rabbi was a proud Jew who wasn't ashamed to look and behave like a Jew in public. You know, he had, he had the beard, he had uh, the, the tzitzits, you know, the... the, the uh, and the fringes, you know, coming out of uh, his, off of his shirt or his talus katan, uh, they decided to call him into a meeting and lay down the law. Yeah, an orator and leader he could be, but a flamboyant Jew on the street, they didn't want him to be. The rabbi walked into the board meeting and they proceeded to tell him how the tradition in their community is to keep Judaism inside the synagogue and the home, but not out in the street. He must keep his Judaism low key, not to advertise to the world, etc., or else. The rabbi listened to what they had to say for a few minutes, stood up to his full height and declared, gentlemen, this is what I have to tell you. I am like a train racing down the track at 70 miles an hour. 
you have only three choices. You can either jump in on the train, you can get out of the way, or you can get run over. He turned around and walked out of the room. Might be an extreme example, but this was a, a devout man, uh, you know, a, a observant Jew. And he was being asked to, you know, bend the pressure and conform to societal expectations. And he responded to that, <laughs> you know, are you crazy? Yeah, my Judaism is the greatest thing that happened to me <laughs> since creation. Uh, you know, others may think their culture and expectations are the best thing around, but they're mistaken. You know, the, my Jewish heritage, my faith, and my values are far greater than anything. And I'm proud because of that of that, you know, assuming an attitude, you know, maybe not as extreme, but an attitude like that, you know, this positive attitude about your, your Jewishness and can magnify the, the impact on yourself and on others, on the world. So I guess the lesson from that is to be like Adam. But that's not the whole part of the story. We want, them, we want also to be like Moses. You know, I mean, Adam's great, but there's a risk involved. If you focus exclusively on that specialness that you have, if it's the only thing that matters to you, it can very easily lead to a dangerous sense of self-importance that will quickly lead you spiraling down a path to disaster, as they said about Adam. You know, uh, Adam started completely justified that, hey, <laughs> God created me personally. But eventually things got out of hand and he was literally rebelling against God. So at that point, you should start listening to Moses' message. Yeah, Moses drives home the message that it should never, ever get to your head and make you do stupid things. You know, even though Adam's sense of self-worth is entirely justified, um, you can't let it get out of control. The moment your personal ego gets involved, then it's the downhill spiral. So for all of us, we need to be vigilant and maintain an appropriate sense of pride and self-worth, but don't let it get into an ego trip. Now, how do we do that? And text 10, Moses will tell us. Well, not Mo but they'll talk about Moses. 
And okay. Yeah, we can. While in a state of holy pride and being cognizant of our own self-worth, we must be vigilant that our personal egos never get involved. Not only must we be aware of our own shortcomings, we must go to the opposite extreme, a radical sense of humility and selflessness. It is here that we see Moses's tremendous humility. So much so, it is served as the antidote to the sin of the tree of knowledge. According to tradition, the stain of the primeval sin was removed at Matan Torah when Moses received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Moses wasn't just a humble person. He was the most humble man of, of, on the face of the earth. He would measure himself up against every other person and conclude that if that person would have my qualities, he or she would have certainly surpassed me. Moses believed that other people would have done a better job than he if they had been given the same opportunities. That humility sort of put a cap on his self-worth and allowed him to be in the right perspective. Yes, being humble, but not going to the extreme of being meek or timid versus Adam being proud and letting that get the haughtiness. So what's the takeaway for us? We all possess a strain of both Adam and Moses inside us. You know, um, and it's our job and opportunity to emulate them both. Now, the Adam strain, <laughs> as they put it here, is documented in the Talmud, and that's in text 11. I could do that one. Easy one. And you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are Adam. You, the Jewish people, are called Adam. The Alter Rebbe talks about the idea, the concept that there's a spark of Adam in every person. And that's in text 12. And let's see, I think Carol, I haven't... Uh, gotten back to you yet soul that has ever lived on earth was once part of adam parashan generally speaking adam's soul splits into 613 strains but more specifically it splits into innumerable sparks which are the souls of every jew from the beginning of time until the end of days so there's a piece of Adam's soul in every and 613 strains I wonder where that number comes into play <laughs> right well just like we say every soul was at Mount Sinai you know, now the Passover is coming up that's you know we, we retell the story as if we were there well, our souls were there, but there were only, you know, uh, a million or so people. But that's, I think that's why it says there it splits into innumerable sparks, which 
sparks are in every one of us. So spark of Adam is in all of us and um, well, one of the ways we can picture that is uh, this concept about when a parent chooses a name, the parents choose a name for the, for the child. Um, they are said to have been imbued with a special uh, amount of, uh, of, I guess, prophecy or insight. So according to Kabbalah, a person's name, given name is uniquely connected to their soul. So they look at their child and say, you know, that, you know, he's going to be called this or she's going to be called that. And that has a, a, a spiritual, Kabbalistic uh, meaning. So how do the parents magically get this extra insight? The answer is that, uh, according to the Arizal, uh, that it comes from the spark of Adam that we all possess in our soul. The Torah recounts on the fifth day of creation, uh, Adam had this spiritual intuition, as it were, and he named all the animals according to their character and other spiritual factors. I'm sorry, hold on a second. Yeah. Fifth day of creation, I thought Adam himself hadn't been created yet. Fifth day, yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't make he, he was created on the sixth day. Right. right. I thought Michael said a moment ago, on the fifth day, Adam I, I, named the animals. I did, and I didn't catch that one. That's a good one, yeah. On the sixth day, in hour number, I want to say hour number seven, Adam named the animals. Yeah. Okay, see, that at least follows what we know about the Torah and the Bible. Right, right. No, no, you, you, I, I missed seeing that when I was copying it. Good catch. Yeah, uh, so Adam, you know, the animals paraded in front of him, and he said, okay, you're a lion. <laughs> you know, you're a bear or whatever. Uh, and these the words uh, have spiritual meaning. Yeah, there was something inherent in that creature that it should be called a bear. And a new parent inherits that same type of intuition to name their child according to the child's makeup. You know, they feel the vibes, as it were, of this newborn being and give that boy or girl a uh, a name that's uh spiritually uh, uh linked that that person so that that's just one example of, of showing you know where we are connected to adam but we also have the connection to Moses. And that's in text 13 to Tanya and Paul. Every Jewish soul possesses 
a dimension of Moses, for he was one of the seven shepherds who transmitted godly energy to the umbrella of the Jewish soul, which is the reason they are called shepherds. Moses was the ultimate shepherd, called the faithful shepherd in the Zohar. We possess both strains in our spiritual DNA. It's only logical that we should activate both of them. As it says on the slide, we must blend their two approaches to achieve what they call here a courageous humility. Well, somehow the cape does not indicate humility to me. <laughs> Well, maybe that's part of the courageous part. <laughs> and certainly the body language of crossing the arms is not uh, humble either. Is that a DC cape or a Marvel cape? Well, I'm a DC fan. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> uh, well, that could be a Doctor Strange cape too. Well, we should know our capabilities and not live a false humility. We should develop the capability or the courage to be different, and the courage to stand out, and the courage to be special. You know, avoid this false humility like the plague. And as they say here, embrace your inner rock star. At the same time, while maintaining this healthy awareness of your unique capabilities, you don't want it to ever get to your head. You know, try to keep your ego out of this, out of the equation. You know, always view yourself with extreme honesty with regard to others. Give other people respect even when it seems that they don't deserve your respect. Because who knows, you know, if that person was literally in your shoes, in other words, given the opportunities that you were given, they might do a better job than you have. As Moses kept on uh, thinking about others. There's a, there was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. His name was Clayton Kershaw. And he was, uh, according to this, he was widely considered one of the greatest pictures of, of, of the game. He had numerous awards and trophies. Um, but he's a very humble person. He once said, I didn't do anything to deserve this gift. God gave me an ability to throw a baseball. He chose me for a reason, and I want to honor him with that. You can't control the talents he gives you. No doubt about that. But you can control the effort you put forth with those talents. Maybe you want to talk about the Rookie. What do you mean? that, you know, her, her message about, you know, I mean, certainly she was humble, 
Yes, she certainly was. <laughs> okay. Yes. And she kept on expressing, like, even in school, I wasn't an exceptional student. I was just an average student. And yet I persevered and I went to college and what she completed college in six years while raising six children. And then she decided to go on to law school. Four more years. Four more years. And then she became a lawyer and... She was just marvelous. Now, now she's a judge. Yeah. So that was uh, last night's. Yeah, last night. Last, last night's uh, presentation that we had. And yeah, that's all they wrote. <laughs> Quick class. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm so Michael. Good. Yes. Okay, um, next time is our Passover lesson. Oh boy. Already, it's just hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, it's titled The Freedom to Be You, Breaking Free from the Confusion of Egypt to the Clarity of Purpose. So I hope everyone has a good week, rest of the week. A good job. You're, you're still sharing your screen, Jerry. Is that you on the mountain, oh, climbing up the mountain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least it's not anything embarrassing, right? <laughs> you know, someone said to me, if, you're, if you wouldn't be comfortable with it being posted live, post, post it in public, then don't do it. Exactly. Um, and that's actually one of the pre-delivered Microsoft pictures. This podcast is produced by Harfer Chabad and the Klein Jewish Academy. To learn more, visit harferchabad.org forward slash podcast.